Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message and our current In the Word series as we journey through the book of Colossians. Let's take a listen. Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 through 6. Today we're talking about prayer, and I'm shaking in my boots because prayer is a big Topic. You're like, you're not wearing boots. That's right, I'm not wearing boots, but I'm still shaking. Prayer. Prayer is a big topic. Prayer is important. Prayer, I believe, is the most underestimated spiritual discipline. We undervalue the power of prayer. And, and we wouldn't if we did a show of hands. I think we would all raise our hand and say, no, prayer is powerful. I pray. I pray often. I know the Bible tells me to pray. I know it's a big deal. I do believe in it. But if we really did an audit of how often and what the content of our prayers are, I think you would agree with me that it's an underutilized and underestimated spiritual discipline because prayer Prayer is not about going to God to get things from God. Prayer is about union with God. So we're talking about in Christ, we have the opportunity to come into connection, direct contact with the king of the universe. And that's so big. And when I say it like that, you're like, yeah, I mean, what does that mean? You know, but it's a reality that we must press into. Because of what Jesus has done, we now can access God boldly and confidently in the holy place with him, sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, coming not in our guilt anymore because of Jesus, and we can sit with holiness. Prayer is not primarily about getting things from God. Prayer is primarily about becoming one with God. And Paul understood that. And so in verses two through six of chapter four, he does a few things that are really awesome. This is the short outline of Paul's teaching for us today. He first teaches us how to pray. And then he asks for prayer. And then he teaches how we're supposed to be when the prayer that he's asking for is answered. And I want you to go to this text with me before we go too much further. Colossians 4, uh, I'll read these, starting in verse 2. And it'll be on the screen. And I hope you have your Bible. And if you have your phone, that's okay. But get off it if Twitter or Instagram come on a notification. You know what I'm saying? Colossians 4, Twitter. Nobody uses Twitter. Does anybody use Twitter? Raise your hand if you use Twitter. AJ, my man. Yeah, you alone. You alone, but not forsaken. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. (laughs) We're coming back to that. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and doing it with thanksgiving. And pray for us that doors of opportunity would be open for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we have those opportunities to share, walk in wisdom, make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What a beautiful, beautiful section of scripture. Paul saw people as opportunities for God to intersect their life. And I wonder what we see when we see people. I've been challenged by this question. What what do I see when I see people? And take a step further back from that just for a second and think about it in terms of your preparation for the day or preparation for a trip or preparation for something that you're about to do where there's going to be somebody there in your path. And some of you, when you start thinking about how you're going to see people and interact with them, it makes you anxious, right? Some, some of us are the ones in the party in the corner that are like, don't talk to me right now. Like, just get it over with. And some of you are like, you cartwheeling into the party, you know? It's me! No, okay. So, regardless of where you are, we interact with people all the time. And I wonder how we perceive that. I wonder how we prepare for that. Like when you're about to go on vacation, do you realize in all of your preparation for the activities you're gonna do and the things you're gonna see and the beach time you're gonna spend looking at the waves and the the restaurants, can I get an amen about the restaurant? Everybody knows where they're going to eat on vacation. You got it all laid out. When you're thinking about that, do you realize that you're also gonna see people on the way there. And when you think about those people, what do you see? When I get up in the morning and I'm getting ready for work, takes less time now because I took my hair off, I would encourage that. And we're getting ready for work and I'm thinking about all the people that I'm gonna see. Maybe sometimes I'm not thinking about anybody that I'm gonna see, I'm just thinking about myself. Which one you think is better? for a Christ follower to be preparing for. What do I think about? What am I thinking about? And if I do actually think about the people I'm gonna see, how am I seeing them? Do I see it as an opportunity? Am I thinking about the people that don't know Jesus? Am I thinking about the people that are hurting? Am I thinking about the people that are far from him? Is there anything more important? These are questions that are flooding me as I prepare to preach this message that I'm shaking in my boots about. Because the reality is, Paul is in prison for the very thing that he's asking us to pray for. 
more opportunities for him to do again. Because he sees people as the most important opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, it is eternally important to Paul that he would have an opportunity to tell you about Jesus. And I can't help but be challenged by the reality that if I'm in prison, I'm probably praying something different. Because I have control over my days for the most part. I can get up in the morning and think about the steps that I'm gonna take and I'm not shackled in prison and I'm not praying those prayers most days. What does that say? What does it say about how important this is to me? Yeah, we're going, we're going to go there today. So Paul teaches us a little bit about prayer. Verse two, verse three and four, he asks us for prayer. Verse five and six, he then teaches us how to act when that prayer is in faith gonna be answered because God cares about those doors. And I want you to be thinking about this prevailing question throughout the time today. And I'm gonna say it probably 12 more times so you won't miss it, but I'm gonna tell it to you at the top too. What are the doors that you're asking God to open? What are those doors? Paul says, pray for open doors that we may share the good news of Jesus that has changed our lives. What are the doors that we're praying? So Paul teaches us how to pray. He gives us a little snapshot about how to pray specifically for doors to be opened for gospel conversations. And prayer, we know, is very important. So this lesson for us today is very important. Jesus himself, the son of God, prayed. Like that's it, that's pretty much all I need to say today. It should be all I need to say to challenge us to go out of the doors and pray. The son of God who came down from perfection, who had everything and has everything enthroned on high. When he came down into bodily form, he prayed and he prayed all the time. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 7, just really quick. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears. Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears. He prayed all the time, and he prayed with great anguish. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the scene where he's sweating blood because he's in agony for what's coming, and he's praying so hard that it's producing this blood out of his pores. This is our Savior. This is the Son of God. In Luke 6, we see where Jesus is about to call his 12 disciples, and he prays all night long. The scripture says, verse 12, and all night he continued in prayer to God. When's the last time we prayed all night long? Like, that's the opposite of holding your hand up high. You know what I'm saying? Like, never. <laughs> he prayed all the time. He prayed before miracles. He prayed after miracles. He prayed in preparation for a thing. He prayed in thanksgiving after the thing happened. 
He prayed all the time. He would sneak off to a mountain somewhere and pray alone with God. The son of God prayed to God all the time. How are we doing? This is where I'm at today. Preaching to myself. Prayer was important to Jesus. How important is it to me? How important is it to us? When Jesus was baptized, he was also praying. This is awesome. Never saw it till this week. Look at Luke chapter 3, 21 through 22. It'll be on the screen too, but I love to hear the pages. Luke 3. 21. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. This is one of those moments where I'm like, Luke, what was he praying? You know, tell me, what was he praying? What were the contents of his prayer? Because the heavens opened. So what was he praying? Was it something about the way that he prayed that was, you know, this cause and effect relationship that created this majestic heaven open moment? He doesn't tell us that. Why doesn't he tell us that? Probably, probably because it doesn't matter. Probably because the goal was not the response and the result that we saw in the scene. The goal was union with God. The goal was oneness with God. Remember, prayer is not about getting things from God. It's about becoming one with God. Jesus desired this union and, and the heavens were opened as he was praying and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Trinity experienced in this moment that the Holy Spirit Jesus and a voice from heaven, God's voice, in a moment. And Jesus was praying when this happened, but I don't believe that he was praying for that specific thing to happen and it wasn't an abracadabra, watch me do it kind of moment. No, it was a union with God that was the goal and God descended on him with his voice and with the Holy Spirit like a dove and we see the Trinity in this moment in perfect harmony and union because that's the point. Jesus wasn't in trouble in this moment. If we were to audit our prayers, maybe 80 plus percent of them are in times of trouble or great need. Jesus wasn't in trouble in this moment looking for, for rescue. It's interesting. He was seeking unity with God, I believe. Because the primary purpose for prayer is union with God. This union that we see perfectly in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, before there was, was sin, which wasn't very long probably, Adam and Eve were there in perfect harmony with God. They, in Genesis 3, we see that they could hear his footsteps in the cool of the day. This harmony, this union is what we were created for. And of course, Sin entered the world when Adam and Eve chose to go against what God 
told them not to, or they went with what God told them not to do. They went against God's law. And we see sin enter the, the world and fracture this relationship. So this union was ruined in its original form. But make no mistake, the plan was always to redeem that union. And now when we are in Christ, we come before an almighty God, washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and we can have union with the Father. That's the purpose. That's the pursuit. Separation from God is our greatest problem. I believe that. I don't always act like that. But I believe that. Separation from God is our greatest problem. In this life and in eternity. Why is hell so bad? Must be the flames. Must be the burning. Yeah, that's bad. But that's not what makes it the worst. What makes it the worst is separation from God. That's the worst. For this life and for eternity, separation from God is, should be our greatest fear. That's why prayer is so important. Because union with God is more powerful than we can imagine. The, in, in John chapter 17, we call this the high priestly prayer where Jesus was praying for this same union. I want you to see this. In verse 11, he was praying for his disciples first. And he said in verse 11 of John 17, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one in union, even as we, Jesus is praying this to God, even as we are one. And then in verse 20 through 23, he kind of turns the corner. He's praying for every believer now. And he says, I, I do not ask for these only, not just the disciples, not just these that are close to me right now, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. All believers, that, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory, verse 22, that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Jesus is not a broken record. He is repetitive on purpose because this is important that we may be one. Can you imagine? This union is the goal. This union is the purpose. But when this union is not our goal and not our purpose, that's where we go really sideways and we think prayer is about receiving something that we think we need. If he gives you something that you need, which he will because he's a good father, it will be as a result of union with him. 
The purpose of prayer is union with the Father. And we grow in this union. And yes, he takes care of his children. He takes care of the sparrows. How much more does he take care of his children? I'm all in. We pray for him to take care of our needs. Don't stop praying for that. But the goal must first be union with him, just as it was for Jesus, that we may be one. And this is the prayer that Paul was praying as well. He desired for, for people to have this union with God, for them to become one because, he, because they heard the gospel and they believed in Jesus's name and they come into this relationship where they can have union with the Father. That's what Paul's asking for. And he starts this, this passage off. Let's go back to verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Three teaching points from Paul on prayer. I believe Paul's teaching us three things about prayer right here. Continue steadfastly, number one. Continue steadfastly. Prayer must be habitual and consistent. Should you pray in emergency? Yes, but not only in emergency. Should you pray when tragedy comes? Yes, but not only in tragedy. Should you pray when you need something really big? You need something to come through that you don't have control over? Absolutely, but not only in those moments because prayer is primarily about becoming one with God. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And he's exhorting us to make it a daily part of our lives. Not just when we absolutely need something. But to live this lifestyle of communion with the Father. He says, continue steadfastly. Number two, he says, be watchful. Be watchful in it. In prayer, literally this translates to stay awake. Stay awake. Be energetic about it. Be passionate about it. And remember the context of this, he's teaching us how to pray, but more specifically, he's teaching us how to pray for people, for doors to be open for people to hear the gospel. And he's saying, when you do this, continue steadfastly in it and be watchful. Stay awake. Keep, keep your mind Awake and, and show the proper attention that it deserves. If it's truly this important, you won't fall asleep while you're doing it. And I got convicted about this because I was like, wow, does that, does that mean I can't pray while I'm about to go to sleep at night? Because I, I really like, sometimes I can't go to sleep and I just pray till I fall asleep. And I think that's a great grace. I think that's a great gift from God. That's absolutely not the problem. The problem is if I go the whole day without communing with the Father and I get to 10.30, let's be honest, 12.30, and I'm praying and, I'm, and I knock out after 25 seconds and I expect that to like cross off a box for the day, what is prayer? Be watchful, stay awake. The energy we give to a thing reflects how much we believe in that thing. 
Be devoted, Paul says. Be vigilant. Don't be casual about conversing with the king of the universe. Continue steadfastly. Be watchful and pray with thanksgiving. That was the third one he said, with thanksgiving. This means what it means. Be thankful. But more specifically, this word originally means thankfulness for the grace of of God. So remember, we're talking about praying for opportunities for God to open up doors for evangelism, for the gospel to be presented. And Paul says, do it often, steadfastly, continually, and be watchful in it. Stay awake and be thankful. Show your gratitude for the grace of God. Remind yourself of all you have to be thankful for. I'm telling you, this has got to be daily. Because I'm so easy. I feel like my own kid is inside of me controlling me sometimes, you know? Like I need me to be outside of my body to say, Jared, remember what you've been saved from. And remember what you've been saved for. This gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. Why are you looking for a new show on Netflix? Real. Remember. And be thankful for the grace of God. But we, we're not thankful if we don't steep ourselves in, in the truth of it and the power of it. True transformation has occurred. Oh, what a miracle. I love that song because you don't typically sing, oh, what a miracle about salvation. But it's the greatest miracle, as Brandon said. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it and do it with thanksgiving. He teaches us how to pray for these doors to be open. And then in verse three, Paul teaches us, uh, or he asks us for prayer now in verse three and four. Colossians four, verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. A door for the word. A door to be opened so that I can boldly proclaim what got me here in the first place. Paul's asked for these doors to be opened before. He's asked for prayer for similar things before. We see in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Sounds similar. Same mindset. Give me opportunities. And when I have them, give me words and give me boldness is the prayer. Acts 14, 27, and when they, Paul and Barnabas, arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Open the door of faith, praying for doors of opportunity to be opened. This was Paul's heart. This is Paul's passion. What doors are you asking God to open? And do you, do you find it interesting that Paul is in prison praying for these doors to be opened? That he is chained, 
very much limited with what he can do. The door is very much locked. He's most likely uncomfortable. He's most likely hungry. He's most likely, if it was me, I'd be losing my mind. What, when am I going to get out of here? I can't see light at the end of the tunnel. And I want to draw your attention to the reality that Paul is praying for doors to be opened. And Paul is praying for prison doors to be opened. But Paul's not praying for physical prison doors to be opened, even though I think that's a relevant prayer. Paul's praying for spiritual prison doors to be open. And he cares deeply about this because he knows that there are people all around that have the prison doors of their hearts locked by sin and they need those doors to be opened by the gospel and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to flood into their story and completely reroute where they're going. Paul cares more about those prison doors than his own physical ones that are holding him down. Like, is that at the top of your priority when you're chained? Thinking about other people's spiritual condition. But then when you think about it, and I think about it for myself, I'm like, why not? Why not? We're all going to expire. Which is a polite way of saying you're going to die, you know? Everybody. Inevitable. Batting a thousand. Hundred percent accuracy. It is a fact. And we don't know when that's gonna happen. But somehow we still lack urgency when we're driving the bus that we filled up with stuff that's carrying our house behind it. Autopilot. Let's just get through the day and let's get to Netflix. Make it through the night and then we'll do it all again tomorrow. I hope I don't see nobody on the way into work. Paul says, I'm, I don't even know when I'm getting out of here. And believe me, I wanna get out of here. But the more important thing is that God would open doors for me to share the greatest news in the world, even if it means that the guard comes in and I'm shackled down and that's my opportunity. This is transformative. This is a man who has been transformed by the power of the gospel. And this is where we have to be careful because it would be very easy to marvel at Paul, right? And put him on a pedestal and say, man, that was a great man. That was a great man. I will never attain to that measure of faith. He must have had some crazy faith. I will never be able to do that. Like, and excuse my behavior for just the fact that I'm just a, a good old boy from Dillard or whatever, <laughs> Merville. Bless you if you're from Dillard. I, I, Dillard House is Great food. Uh, amen. amen. Paul, me. I read his stuff and I think he's great. More power to him. I'll pray for him. Well, he's dead, right? But okay, I'll, I'll still pray. Um, but I'm not gonna be able to do that. That was for people in the Bible. 
we start doing this thing. Or if we bring it back to reality a little more, we start to put Brian up here. You know how bad I am, so you didn't put me up here, but Brian up here, and you're like, that's Brian. That's Pastor Brian. Here I am. That's Pastor Brian. I know he's from Merville, but I don't know. He's still up here. We have to be careful when we do that because the reality of the Great Commission is Jesus was speaking to us. He wasn't speaking to officers in the church who have made it to a certain echelon. He was speaking to blood-bought believers. And so when he said... In Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's talking to us. Teach. I don't teach. I don't, I'm not gifted for that. Teach. Open your mouth. Look for opportunities to show the hope that has transformed your life. We are to care deeply about the gospel spreading. We are to care deeply. And it's challenging to me that most days, that is not my first thought. Or my ninth thought. Something's wrong. Something is wrong with the Christian who gets up and doesn't care deeply about the gospel spreading. And I'm not condemning anyone. Don't hear me casting condemnation. Hear me cast a warning. There's something wrong if the church doesn't care about the gospel spreading. And I don't mean just generally. I mean individually, personally. There's something wrong if you aren't being sanctified in this passion. If this passion is not growing in the individual. Believer, something's wrong. Every day, every interaction, every single interaction is an opportunity to share this good news with somebody. And why not? Why not? And then Paul says in verse five, he, he says, and when you get a chance to do this, this is kind of like he turns the corner. He says, and when you get a chance to do this, do it this way. Now, verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. That's not easy. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Make the most of the time. Walk in wisdom. Speak well to people when you open your mouth about this gospel. 
Let's break this down a little bit because that's a weird phrase, seasoned with salt. We know what gracious means, I think. Let your speech always be gracious. At least we know what it's not. Just take yourself back to the last time you were in traffic and you said some things that you thought nobody heard. That's not speaking graciously. Seasoned with salt is a little more confusing. Like, what, is, what does this mean? Biblically, we see some different definitions for salt, right? Salt was used to purify. Salt has purification qualities. Salt was also used to preserve, right? It has preservation qualities. It's able to preserve things. But here, contextually, Clearly, I believe that Paul is talking about salt as in the flavor, the flavor of our words. Season your words with salt. Let them be tasty. Let them be enticing. Let them be almost mouthwatering in a way that's totally not weird, you know. Let your words be seasoned with salt when you speak to others about Jesus. Let them be gracious always and, and, and let them reflect the flavor of what you've experienced. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experientially, I love that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I can't explain it physically. It's a spiritual thing that, that's not weird, you know. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This, this is what, if you have tasted it and you have seen it, your words should reflect that. Season them with salt. But your words aren't going to be mouth-watering if your mouth is not watered by the reality that you're proclaiming. And it's not dependent on how great your words are. Do not get it twisted. But if it truly has changed our lives, why aren't we proving it with the way that we speak about it? If we aren't awake with gratitude for all that we have in Christ, chances are we're not talking to anybody else about it. If we're not awake to this, if we're not preaching to ourselves, remember, remember what he's done. Remember where you were and where you are today. Remember the miracle. Remember what he's called you to. If we're not awake with this reality, then we're just in autopilot. We're just in autopilot trying to get to the end of the day. And I think that's relevant for a lot of us. Some of you are in here today and you're like, that's about all I've got right now. At least autopilot keeps me out of the woods from doing something cataclysmic. But I'm here today to challenge that. I'm here today to tell you that God has more for you than that. God has more for you. And there's no fullness of life to be found in autopilot. I mean, I want a Tesla, but... Wouldn't that be awesome to just let it go and let it drive you there? You know, it's interesting that you got to tell the car where to go. So it's actually being programmed to go there. So this reality of autopilot, no notes. Wow, be careful. This reality of autopilot is actually 
not even a real thing. Because there has to be a programming, there has to be a direction at some point, or else we're just gonna flounder and we're gonna end up way off course. And I'm, I'm concerned that most of us, hopefully not most of us, but some of us are living our days in autopilot. We're not, we're not prayerfully considering the opportunities we're gonna have to share the hope that's within us. We're not prayerfully considering the reality that our lives have been totally changed. We're not reminding ourselves of the opportunity we have to walk in this freedom, to walk in this life. We're not prayerfully considering this reality that this is so good. This calling, this mantle is so good and so fulfilling that Paul is in chains asking for more. More. More opportunity to give myself away. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. How are we doing? Paul asked for prayer that God would open doors for them to be able to share the good news of Jesus. And I believe that should be our prayer as well. I I don't want to discourage you from asking for doors to be open. There are important doors of opportunity in this life that you should take to God in prayer. Don't hear me neglect those. Don't hear me diminish those as not important. But please hear me challenge the thought process that there's anything more important than the eternal destination of souls. Please hear me challenge this autopilot lifestyle that keeps you, that I believe the devil wants you in that Tesla with your hands off, that keeps you from doing anything with the ample interactions that are right in front of you throughout each day. What could be more important than eternity? What doors are we asking God to open? I wanna tell you a story uh, about a man named Duncan Campbell. Not very well known. I'd never heard of him until this week, but this story, it it blew my mind. Duncan Campbell was a minister in Scotland in the 50s and the 60s, 1950s, 1960s, not that long ago. And he was a powerful preacher, a powerful minister. He would travel around and do these revivals and they were seeing huge waves of revival everywhere he went. And in 1952, Duncan was speaking at a conference in Bangor, Northern Ireland. And after he finished, he sat on the platform beside the chairman and the event, the night was still going on and he heard in his spirit one word, burn a ray. So he prayed to God, God, is that you? Burn a ray, is that you? What are you saying to me? And he heard, he said he heard again the second time, burn a ray. So he prayed again. 
Okay, I know Burnaray's a place. It's pretty remote. Never been there. Don't know anybody from there. But I, 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 is that what you're, what are you asking me to do? What about it? Is this you, Lord? You know, the whole deal. And he heard a third time, burn array. So he leaned over to the chairman and he said, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to excuse me. The Holy Spirit is calling me to go to burn array. The chairman said, you, you gotta preach tomorrow twice and the next day twice. What are we gonna do if you just get up? Are you being serious? You're just gonna get up and go to burn array? Where's burn array? He said, I don't know, but I gotta go. So he goes to the hotel, packs his bags, calls the airport. I need a flight to Bernaray. They say there is no flight to Bernaray. There's no airport in Bernaray. He said, okay, let me get a flight to the nearest island. So he flies into the nearest island, gets off the plane, two suitcases, goes down to the shore because he knows it's off the coast and he's got to figure out how to get there. So he comes up to a group of fishermen. He says, how can I get to Bernaray? And they say, there's no commercial way to get to Bernaray, of course. He said, well, can anybody get me there? One fisherman said, yes, but it's gonna cost you this much. And he said, exactly what I have in my pocket. Paid the man. No coincidence, by the way, that should excite somebody. Hello, God gave him the exact amount of money. Just to be clear. Paid the man, let's go to Bernaray. Fisherman takes him there. Fisherman drops him off at the beach at Bernaray. Duncan Campbell gets out of the boat. He's on the shore with his two suitcases looking at nothing. I'm here. Now what? Anybody got an itinerary? So he walks up the bluff, which is a hill, which most of y'all know, because go bears. And he goes up the bluff. Joey, my man. Goes up the hill and he sees a farm. No people. Walks down the farm. He's like, I got to find something. Finds a farmer. He says, where's your pastor? The farmer says, we don't have a pastor. Kind of a long story. We just lost him. He said, well, do you have any elders? He said, I think there's one elder and I think I know where to find him. But why? Dungan said, I don't know. Just go find him. So the farmer goes across wherever to find the elder. Duncan's sitting on his suitcases on the beach, just waiting, enjoying the, the whatever. The, probably the rain because he's in Scotland, right? Ireland. Ireland. He's in Ireland. Burn array. And he's sitting there waiting on the elder to come back and the farmer comes over the hill and he's kind of confused, but he's excited and this is weird. And he says, okay, you want to go? I can take you to the elder. They're preparing for the first service of the church tonight at 9 p.m. Duncan Campbell's like, all right, let's go. What he didn't know is the elder had been praying for days and nights for God to send someone to burn array to rescue their church who was in need of a pastor. And what else he didn't know is that the elder was given his specific name and he said he saw Duncan Campbell in his prayers and he said, I'm praying for Duncan Campbell to come to burn array. <laughs> and so he said, I believe it is gonna happen 
in Jesus' name. So we're going to have a service at 9 p.m. because it's probably going to take him a little while to get here. But he's coming. And when he gets here, we'll be ready to worship God together and hear a word from the Lord from our new pastor. I read this story and I read a quote by the man that wrote this, he chronicled this story, put it together. His name was Wesley Duell. And he said this quote that, that just absolutely rocked me to the core. When God has people who prevail in prayer and people who know how to recognize the voice of the spirit and obey without question, there is no limit to what God can do. And I can't find any colorful adjectives in that quote, talking about the people that God needs. Man, we're waiting. So we spend so much time waiting for us to have some adjectives or some titles before our name, before we go out, before we prevail in prayer. I don't know if I know what to say. No, he needs people. He needs people. He needs believers. He needs some faith. He needs people to say, I don't know what that means, but I know that I heard you say it and I'm willing to obey whatever you say. And we're going to take some steps without me knowing what in the world is next. But I believe it. I trust and I obey that you are in control, that you know all. And I believe that what's transformed me can transform the next person as well. Like the man at Burnaray. God, we put, we put effort into marketing. And my man at Burnaray just started praying. And we're going to still market. But if we're not praying, it ain't going to go anywhere. We can't do it. We don't have what it takes. There's not an adjective list long enough to describe the person that we can be to conjure up a response from the inside. This is a spiritual reality that only the almighty God can do. Are we praying for that? What are the doors that we're asking for him to open? What have we prioritized in our prayer life? So we're gonna spend some time praying today. We're gonna to sing another song. And we're gonna open up this altar for all who want to come and pray. And I wanna be clear that this altar is not the only place to pray. But I also wanna be clear that we are a praying people. And if we stop being a praying people, we will stop seeing God move. I believe that. So why don't we stand together? I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, before we sing another song, feel free to move. Feel free to come down here and Ask God to give you a burning desire and passion the way that he had given Paul 
this passion for people that needed to hear him. And if you're in this room today and you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, this is your chance to come and grab a hold of his robe in faith and repentance, surrendering to him. This is the most important step of your life to step out in faith into his arms. And wouldn't it be cool if somebody was saved today and walked out of the doors and told somebody about it at Kurtz and somebody was saved at Kurtz. That's kingdom growth. We can be great inside these walls. We can have the best program, which we don't, inside these walls. And it can look alive, but it can be just as dead on the inside. Growth is not about numbers. Growth is about transformation. And it's not on one person to do it. It's on each of us to take up this mantle and this challenge to pray for open doors that we will walk through. Well, let me start praying for open doors for Brian to share his faith. You know, that's what most of us want to do. That's why quickly after that, the prayer in Ephesians 6 was for boldness and for the words to speak because Paul knows that it's all of our responsibility to step through that door when God opens it. And make no mistake, union with God is the goal. And his number one priority is to make disciples. And his number one tool is each of us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.